Welcome back to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro, and we're on our second last episode of this season. This podcast and subsequent webinar focuses on bringing the voices of some of the best speakers from the most recent OME conference so that they can repeat their talks online for a wider audience. This month, we're talking to Ottawa teachers Alex Overwick and Jimmy Pye. At last year's OME conference, they did a session titled Manage Flow and Let Go. And on today's episode, they will give us a brief outline of what we can expect when they repeat that session live in webinar format in a couple of weeks. So let's get to it. Jimmy and Alex, how are you doing today? Good. I'm excellent. That's good to hear. I wonder if you guys can tell us a little bit about yourselves. So this is my 30th year of teaching. I spent probably the first 17 or 18 years of my teaching career being super traditional and have kind of changed that uh, over the last 10 years and have a much more dynamic classroom now with students doing mathematics instead of me doing mathematics. Yeah, and it's been uh, it's been quite a journey for sure. So when you say you got a dynamic classroom, you're talking about grade 9 through 12 or... Yep. Uh, you know, I really started my journey with the grade 10 applied classes, but it has the, the manner in which I've taught those classes and turned them into thinking classrooms has migrated to all classes. It's great to hear. Jimmy, what about you? Yeah. So uh, I teach in Ottawa, Ontario that I've taught for about 10 or so years, primarily actually the whole time pretty much teaching math. There was one year where I taught science as well, but pretty much I've been teaching math the whole time. Yeah, so I think in the beginning, I was really into group work when, and, and teaching with activities and whatnot. Uh, and then came the idea of spiraling, and that was a lot of fun working through the curriculum in sort of a natural uncovering kind of way with the students. Uh, and then when Peter Lillodal came in at around 2014 with CMEF and showed us these ideas about the thinking classroom. Then from then I've been sort of doing it ever since. Great, great. And are you, uh, are you both in Ottawa? Yep. Yep. Uh, in the same school board or are you at the same schools? Uh, yeah, we're in the same school board. So Ottawa Carlton district school board. And actually incidentally, we've never taught at the same school before, but we've worked together in various things for a while. And so how did you guys come together uh, to present this? Well, we, we've done quite a few different sessions uh, over the years on Thinking Classroom or Spiraling uh, at mm -hmm. OME. And so this, usually every year, Jimmy says, you're going to OME, you want to present together? <laughs> and uh, we, we, we get together and meet and decide on what we're going to propose. And yeah, we've done that the yeah. last couple of years, kind of ever since, uh, since Bruce uh, retired, <laughs> who was my original partner in crime. That's Bruce McLaurin. Bruce McLaurin, yeah. So he retired a couple of years ago. So ever since he left, I've been kind of going to OME with Jimmy and presenting with Jimmy. Yeah. And I know that uh, a couple of, couple of years ago, we, we started presenting on things that were more about teacher moves. So that were the sessions themselves. We wanted to run them like we would a classroom where people are talking to each other and thinking. So it's a, it's an interactive room and then we get to have people experience it while talking about pedagogy so that was the initial thing and i think we started with bungee jump i'm not quite sure uh, but anyway we started with like a like a common task that a lot of people know and we just wanted to unpack and and have people talk specifically about teacher moves and how that can be nuanced and different uh in people's context and students and different dynamics and so on so you uh you mentioned oime and we're doing this webinar for OME. I wonder if you guys can tell us a little bit about your history with OME. So I, I've gone to OME a bunch of years prior to 2012. You know, I started teaching in 90, so in, on and off 
would, would attend the odd one as a as a you know someone who was going and trying to learn a little bit about teaching. But then in 2012, I did my first talk on spiraling, kind of shared some experiences that I'd had with spiraling the grade 10 applied course, and then really ever since then I've been kind of going and talking about that and talking about the thinking classroom since. In a similar way to to Al, I've known about OAME uh, and I've been to a few. And then I think maybe it was 2012 was when I first went too. But then even before that, I've been involved locally with the chapter, with uh, their many conferences there, as well as I, I was involved with in the very beginning the Ontario Math Olympics, uh, helping out with their their uh, intermediate junior sort of grade seven and eight program. And then from there, I got more involved with the chapter. And at the same time, I started to go to the annual conference at OAME as well, and then decided to present. I don't remember what I first presented about. Maybe it was assessment, because uh, I was working quite a lot with assessment in my graduate studies. So that's probably the first one I did. So can you can you think uh, what caused you to, to flip from being just a attendee to a presenter at OAME? Uh, sure. For me, it was definitely having taught the grade 10 applied course for three or four semesters in a row and just literally ripping it apart and trying different things and, you know, eventually stumbling upon this idea of not teaching it in units anymore and just teaching through activities and rich tasks. And I did that with Bruce and then Bruce was a had done lots of talks himself at OME, and he was he basically said to me, "Oh, you should totally present your course to people. I think you'd, they'd be interested in it." And I think the first year I did it was in Kingston, and there were twelve people in my session on spiraling. And you know, we didn't even call it spiraling back then; we called it cycling. And you know, we didn't know what interleaving and blocking were at the time. It was just we were trying something different that seemed to work and seemed to connect the kids to the mathematics a little bit better. So you know, I thought it was a good story to tell. So that kind of started the journey. As for me, it was, uh, I attended sessions, but it always felt like, of course, and a lot of sessions were excellent. To people who are listening to this, OME sessions are excellent. But I did feel like there weren't enough opportunity for these really in-depth conversations. So I, I think I wanted to have sessions where it was just about facilitating that talk, or just about talking about ideas together and sorting things out. And so I, I try to set up sessions that are very similar, as I mentioned earlier, like to, to the classroom where we have a common problem, but this time the problem is about pedagogy. Perhaps we'll have a common math problem to start, but really our problem as teachers examining them together will be pedagogy. So talking about in detail, bringing in our own context, experiences. And so I thought if, if these kind of sessions don't exist as much, I'm sure they do to different capacities and different people's imaginations. So I wanted to really set that up and then talk about things I, I feel are integral to sort of my own teaching and so hoping that other people will find it interesting too awesome okay so your session manage flow and let go i've already kind of alluded to sort of the underlying idea there and that's the thinking classroom for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with the idea of the thinking classroom can you give us a quick sort of summary of what that is I'll gladly talk about like the three big, like I call them the sledgehammer things, which is like basically flipping your classroom upside down, which is, you know, getting students standing and working on the walls all the time, daily and relentlessly, and then also putting them in random groups 
So every day they're working with someone different. And then the third big component is like trying to use good tasks or rich tasks or rich problems. So those would be the three big things. And then like what we're going to try to delve into a little bit is, you know, some of the things that happen within that structure. Those three things are are not simple things. They sound simple, but they, they do require some sort of rethinking in terms of classroom management. Mm-hmm. So I, I will also say an ad from before that these three things are sort of the most visible things. And Al and I really find that the things that really make it work are all the little details that the teachers do after that. So the teacher moves that are involved. But even these three, I mean, these three are... You can only make it work if you have these the rest of the 14 elements. But like in, in terms of just like the physical structure of how to make that work, how to have boards on the wall or how to sort random groupings, like that is not as challenging, I find. You just have to sort of switch your mindset around in terms of getting it done. But what Al and I really want to talk about in this session is about the specifics of the teacher moves and student moves, actually. I'm curious what you mean by student moves. Well, I'll address that. I, like, I think it can go one of two ways, right? The, the student move can be to direct and to be to re-engage when they're having difficulties. So, you know, I think the term that Peter uses, studenting, which can be anything from wasting time to mimicking what the teacher has showed them, amongst other things that are undesirables, versus student autonomy, where the student comes up with a way to continue on in the problem and continue working at the mathematics that's happening in the room. Yeah, those those would be the two the two ways it could go in terms of what the student could do. So I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because, and I'll I'll get to what really makes me like this particular structure of the thinking classroom so much, and, and it has to do with equity. But let me first talk about studenting. So studenting is is sort of like the student's way of conforming the norm, right? It's it's what students think school should be about, these sort of institutional norms that we've set up where they're expected to say to raise your hand and answer individually and or I don't know, compete with each other on an individual level, whatever it might be. And and having this sort of and that's why I'll call it the sledgehammer part of the 14 elements of the thinking classroom and that these three, having them work on the walls together, how how they work together, as well as starting with really interesting problems that will get them to think that sort of disrupts that norm and so it's it's having using that sledgehammer to sort of destroy what they think schooling it is in order to be able to build up what school could be is essentially what it is so now let me go back to what i was saying before about what i really do like about the thinking classroom as a structure is that as you uh, sort of shatter this uh, imagination of what school could be, then you can sort of really pay attention to the things that, say, create issues in from, from the institution. So like how stereotypes arise or how they, how they think about what ability is, uh, how they work with each other. And then because you are now in an environment where they are working together all the time, these sort of things that you don't normally see, if you sort of just suppress them in a rows and column kind of situation. You don't see those because they don't talk. And now that they are all talking, these these sort of things now all surface. And now you're sort of forced to deal with this in, in, a, in a way that perhaps are helpful. So, okay, you're coming to a classroom, maybe the beginning of the semester, and you've got students that you know have not really been uh, introduced to the idea of the thinking classroom. 
what kind of strategies are you using to either ease them in or bring that sledgehammer down? Yeah. So, I mean, of course, this could be really disconcerting. So that's that beginning problem that you use is really important. So I would say like the first week or two or depending on your class, maybe a little longer is, is just about building that positive culture where they trust enough in each other in order to take risks and, and try things. So the problems that I typically use are problems that are not just low floor, high ceiling, but are low risk too. Like interesting enough that they can all throw themselves in there, but there's no attachment to say, oh, you, you're not able to do this question because you don't remember the Pythagorean theorem from last year, or you know you can't count or whatever. So they all have not only something to enter into, but something that they can be themselves with and feel good about doing so. And so you kind of just build that. And then the, the things that you focus on in these beginning couple of days is all about, you know, I mean, also the, as a teacher, feeling out where the students are at in terms of their confidence with with being in your room or being with you or being with each other, but also to see the kinds of problems that might interest them or the kinds of ways they can work together and all these kind of things at the same time as, as, as getting them to sort of trust in each other to be able to try things. And I would add to that, that I probably do that for a full week. I'm not even interested in like introducing an activity that has any sort of curriculum associated with the course for the first week. It's really about trying to get them to be mathematicians in the first week of the week of the school year. And, you know, a lot of them will say like, oh, do I need to know this? It's like, no, <laughs> we're just we're just trying to play with math and trying to think in, in this classroom. So. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll anticipate a possible question that people might have is about, well, oh, what about like all these other classes are, go, are speeding forward with their curriculum content? Well, the first thing I would say is you don't have to worry about it as much because once they learn to work together really well, they'll eat up whatever content you throw at them. The other thing that you could do to in case you're worried about complaints about, oh, we're not doing curriculum yet or whatever, then what I typically do in those beginning times is to sort of link those to the mathematical processes because we are still representing ideas. We are communicating our ideas. We are problem solving and we are using these big ideas of mathematics. And so that usually appeases them. <laughs> Not that appeasing is what we want to do. <laughs> but I mean, I, I kind of see it as, as you're priming the pump right. in, in a way. You're starting to build those skills that you know you're going to be looking for later on in the semester when things get maybe a little bit more heavier or more curriculum laden. Once you've developed the sense in your students that they can do the math, they're probably more willing to take a chance on that math. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's like opportunities too, even in these broad, interesting problems that you can pull out little pieces of it and say, Oh, look, take take a look at how you're just uh, using a table of values to, uh, you know, organize information from this problem. And now you can do things with that table of values that perhaps relate to the curriculum if you really want to. But again, like for, for us, I, I feel like our our focus in the beginning really is about building that culture. So we've talked a little bit about the thinking classroom, and I want to talk a little bit more about the title of your talk and specifically it says manage flow and let go and I think there's there's two real concepts there this idea of what flow is and that it has to be something that's managed and and I think maybe this underlying thing of letting go is something that is 
really important in a thinking classroom is that you have to let go of control a little bit. And maybe I'm wrong there, but I think that's what you're you're speaking to. So maybe you could tell us a little bit, a little bit about what flow is. So flow is an idea that Peter has adopted from Mahai Csikszentmihalyi, who is a psychologist, and he, and he talks about this sort of state of of, of being where you kind of lose track of time, things go really well. And, and that's what ideally we want our students to be in, in this state of flow. So, right, managing flow then is about like the, the things that we would do, the little things, as well as the big things in the classroom in order to help students have that experience for as long as possible. So can you give me an example of when a student is probably out of flow? Like what's, in what situation does that happen? So maybe you've given them a problem that's too hard. It's too challenging. And so right away they get in their group and their group of three has no idea where to start. So they don't even really have an entry point. So that right away, they're not going to be able to jump into the problem. That's sort of one end of the spectrum of being out of flow. And there's another end of that spectrum, I think, as well. Sure. So... Mm -hmm. Maybe it's, you've given them, you've, you've, you've scaffolded it, you've given them two or three problems and they've gotten better at it. And now they're ready for some sort of extension that's going to push their thinking and they haven't gotten it from you, you or you're, you're not prepared with that question. So they're bored, right? They're at the other end of it where they already know, maybe they already even know how to do it before they walked into the lesson. Maybe they've learned it somewhere else. Yeah. And I want to emphasize, like, there's a lot of little pieces to this as well, but like, even just like the way that you give them the problem or what the problem is, the problem that they're just mirroring, like you've, they've already done it and you're just, they're just replacing it with different numbers, then there's not a lot of thinking they need to do. And so, I mean, first of all, the teacher is going to be a lot busier. You're going to have to go around a lot quicker to different groups to try to give them small extensions. And even that is going to be difficult. Or alternatively, they'll just get bored uh, and they'll stop and they'll start, you know, drawing on each other with markers or talking about their Fridays or whatever. So it seems like being out of flow is either being frustrated or bored and being in flow is trying to balance not being frustrated with not being bored. Am I saying that right? I mean, sure. To be in flow is to not be frustrated and to not be bored. But it's it's more like you want to think of flow as the main thing and the other two as what you don't want to be in. So it's kind of weird as to frame the idea of flow as not the other two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I'm the interviewer and you guys are the experts. That's why. Yeah, right. But but I you know I, I think we want our kids to experience frustration, a manageable frustration. But we don't want and and we don't want things to be easy enough to be bored. So we mm -hmm. you know I think once students start to become stronger right. students, that frust that uh, like the level of difficulty becomes higher before they get frustrated. And and I guess maybe that's where the managing comes from from a teacher's perspective. So it's an interesting point, and I think over the over the course of a semester, students are going to experience frustration at different times. And I think what happens is, what we're what we're trying to do in this model is maybe early in the course, I have to intervene and help them with their frustration. But what we're hoping for is some autonomy where they can figure out how to get out of their frustration. They can figure out a way to extend when they're bored. Yeah, extend when they're yeah. bored or modify to an easier problem 
if it's too difficult. Think of an easier question and then go back to the harder one. And we want them to be able to do that, them to have that autonomy and, and I guess get better at that. So not always be dependent on the teacher to come and manage it, that they self-manage. So in our virtual session coming up, what do you think the, the primary idea that teachers will get as they leave your session in a few weeks? The goal, I would like to share some experiences of things that I do in a classroom that help me get students doing mathematics for 75 minutes a day. And also things, techniques that I've used to help them learn how to do that on their own as well. Yeah, and I would echo what Al is saying, except also I would say that just like before how we talked about institutional norms, like I think there are things that get built up over time and then these nuances get get lost and they sort of just get left with these big sort of neon signs of what they should represent. So what I'm saying is people start to think about the thinking classroom as like a silver bullet, but they only remember like these big things that they can see. So, you know, uh, you know, vertical non-permanent services, as well as the visibly random grouping. And then, and then that's sort of where it becomes a sort of a danger where things just become fad or they fade over time because they are not thinking about these complexities and nuances. So what I hope will come out of the session is that we are talking about nuances in in, in um, the particulars of what we're doing in the classroom and that each of us have different contexts and experiences and, and ideas to offer as well as our knowledge of our students that in order to make it work really does require us to think about our students, think about what it is that we can try that are different for this kid or the other kid with respect to the different moves we can make that would really make it work. So that's what I hope will come out uh, of this session and people thinking about how complex it is, I guess. I'm trying to blow everyone's mind, I guess. Okay, so we hope that you guys will blow everyone's mind and and, uh, give us a sense of how to manage our flow in our thinking classrooms come webinar night. And so Alex and Jimmy, I want to thank you for speaking with us today to give us a brief idea of what you're going to expand upon when it comes to our OME webinar. Excellent. Looking forward to it. That was Alex Overwick and Jimmy Pai, two secondary teachers from Ottawa, giving us an overview of their upcoming webinar, Manage Flow and Let Go. That webinar will go live on February 12th at 8 p.m. and is for OME members only. Members can register at our MCIS registration site. Look for links in the description. And although this is the second last regular episode of this season, stay tuned for a couple of bonus episodes in the next week or two to give some previews of featured speakers from OME 2020 this May in Oshawa. So get ready for that. And next month, we will have our last episode of this season with Lisa Sertam and Christine Lebeau, where they will talk about their March webinar, A Fusion of Math and Special Education. So stay tuned for that as well, and we will see you on the next episode of OAME Talks.